Believe for it. I believe. I believe for it. The Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10 and 10. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity one more time to preach your word. Thank you for the lamp and the light. Thank you for the road map. Thank you for the instruction. Thank you for the correction. Thank you for the wonderful Holy Spirit presence that accompanies the reading and the preaching of the Word of God. And I ask you now to help us, O Lord Jesus, with attentive ears and hearts to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. God, move upon us through the power of your Holy Spirit that lives would be changed here this morning and that attitudes and that opinions and ideas would be rooted and grounded in what thus saith the word of the Lord. Touch me, O God, right now, for without your touch I cannot preach. Without your anointing I cannot preach the word of the Lord and these people cannot be blessed. But Lord, if you will touch me, then your word will go forth and return back to you with blessing and goodness and faith in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Everybody said amen. amen. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist, sometimes they say, to figure out that our world is a very troubled place. And I've preached many times that a world that is in crisis needs a church that is in revival. A world that is in crisis needs a church that is in revival. And I wish that I could report to you this morning, the state of the church is powerful and that we're having revival everywhere, but that simply is just not the case. In fact, these are very trying, testy times for those who preach the gospel and those who pastor and for churches. The culture that we're in right now is becoming more and more anti-Christian, and it is not just a casual uh, opinion about Christianity, people are becoming adverse to Christianity and are becoming opposed to Christianity. A nation that once was proud to say one God, one nation under God, indivisible. We used to be proud that our coins had in God we trust. We used to really be proud that Christianity uh, had made such a testimony and such an impression upon uh, the world that we live in, that the largest uh, religion in the world was uh, Christianity. And thank the Lord for that. But, you know, in recent times, a lot of that has changed. In the polls and in the uh, information and data gathering people like George Barna and like the Gallup poll and life research, they found that the church is... Uh, in a situation of illness and is an infirmity. In fact, there's something wrong that is uh, going on with the church. And it's getting weaker and it does, has less power and in less influence. In the year 2000, the average church attendance, all of them combined, the median, as it would say, in 2000, that, was, that number was 137. 
of the 350,000 churches in America, the average of all of them averaged out 137. In 2005, that number had come down by eight persons to 129. In 2008, it was at 115. In 2010, it was 105. In 2015, the average slumped to 80 people. In 2020, it slumped to 65. Today, it's just under 50 is the median. So you see, if you drew the graph and you saw the, saw the graph, you would see the, the spurt up in the 90s, 80s and 90s, and continually it would tip over and in a continual decline. In other words, we've got to stop whatever trend is going on right now. Whatever is happening right now, that's got to be reversed. It's got to be halted or else we're headed out of business. We're headed the wrong way. And we've got to do something. So we have to take a hard look at ourselves. And we have to uh, take a, a, a very hard look at, at God's Word and what we're supposed to be doing and what we're supposed to be uh, heralding. And the word kerygma, to satisfy your curiosity, it is a Greek word. It means preaching. Simply means preaching. Cosmos is the word for the world, the Greek word for the world. Cosmos and kerygma, preaching and the world. Would you put 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 up there for me, please? This whole notion of preaching and the world and the people that are out there that need kerygma, that need preaching. We were told in the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen? Go into all the world. In Mark's gospel, he told us. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew uh, 28, 19, he said, go into all the world and teach all nations the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you. Buddy, you ought to have said, praise God. Lo, I'm with you. I'm with you until the end of the age. Amen. 1 Corinthians for chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved. Anybody in this house saved? To us who are saved, it is the power of of God. The power of God is the preaching of the cross. The preaching of the cross is the influence, is the powerful effect that God employs to bring men and women to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Put that next verse up there for us, please. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to naught or nothing the understanding of the prudent. In other words, all of the stoical and epicurical things that are there, philosophical things that are there in this field of intelligence, intelligentsia, as we would say, that he says, God says, all the wisdom of the world is brought to nothing. In other words, wisdom and intelligence will not save you. Just knowing something will not save you. 
You can have all the knowledge in the world. You can know all about and exhaust the subject. There's no more for you to learn. But still, there has to be some activity and some action put on that. You can know that Jesus is the Christ. You can know, and, but you have to believe that and act upon it. Respond to that. There's got to be a response. You know, when God sent his son, we're going to talk about that in a minute, he expected a response. He expected the world to respond. Amen. He expected us to respond. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Next verse, please. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Yes, he has. Next verse. For after that, in the wisdom of God, in the wisdom of God, God's pleasure, what God wants and what God desires, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God it pleased God. Anybody in this house want to please God? Anybody in this house want your worship to please God? Anybody want your prayer life to be pleasing to God? Anybody want your, your sacrifice of praise to be pleasing to God? Anything about your witness that you, you want your witness and your influence to be pleasing to God? It hath pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Wow. Then of all the things we do to get people saved, the one most pleasing thing to God is preaching. Preaching, preaching, the foolishness of preaching. And then he says, to them that perish, next verse, let's go read it, then we'll preach some more. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, next verse. But we preach Christ. Well, I'm about to shout, hallelujah. It pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching to save people that believe. Therefore, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews. He is a stumbling block. Why is Jesus such a problem for Jewish people? Because they can't get past the old covenant to realize that there is a new they can't get past the Old Testament and come into the New. They can't make the transition from their Bible to God's intervention in the New Testament. It's difficult for them to change, to turn loose of tradition, to turn loose of the way we've always done it and realize there's got to be something else. And they're still, to this day, stumbling over the stumbling block and still looking for a person that they will accept as the Messiah instead of the Lord Jesus. And their mistake will be a terrible one because it will bring such terrible, ca catastrophic things upon the human race that we call the world. The world. We preach Christ crucified a stumbling block unto the Greeks because preaching is foolishness. 
but to them that are saved, to those who were preached to, that accepted the word of God, the preaching of the cross is the power of God unto salvation. Then my Lord, no wonder he said in Mark's gospel, go ye therefore into all the world and preach. Go into all the world and preach. Preach the word. Live the word. Sing about the word. Teach the word. Act out and be a witness of the word. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to we which are saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. Well, this kerygma, this preaching, preaching Christ crucified, go into the world and teach. How do we effectively preach God's word in the culture we've got right now? Right now, the culture that we've got is a very complex culture. It's hard to figure this Z generation out. Millennials were tough enough, but this Z generation, and I've told you several times, it's very tough for the church to connect in these days we're living in right now. The competition is so great. It's hard to fight against the things of the world. Moses said that he had chosen by faith. Moses chose not to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In other words, he cleaned up his identity. He knew who he was and was not afraid to step forward and say, I am not the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But it sure would be nice to have been that because that means you're in position to become the ruler of the known world at the time. It means you're in line to become the next Pharaoh. It means you are going to be what Pharaoh was in Egypt. Power, authority, riches, wealth, prosperity, affluence. But Moses, the Bible said, made a choice. And he made it because of his faith. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Moses chose not to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but he chose to suffer. Now, that's where most folks say, well, I don't want any part of that, that suffering part of it. Part of that choice that we make and part of the sermon, the preaching, the kerygma, part of that preaching the cross, part of that preaching about the crucifixion of Jesus, part of that all is Jesus said, if you accept the message and you accept the word and you accept the invitation to become a, a Christian and become a child of God, then there is a cross to be born. And for everybody, there is a cross for us to bear. And sometimes we confuse that with sickness and, and with illness and financial need. That's not what that means. The burden of bearing the cross is about bearing this burden of getting the gospel out. It's shouldering the cross of evangelism and carrying that cross. Jesus said, if any man will come after me 
and will not take up his cross and will not come after me and follow me, then that man is not worthy of me. Not worthy of me. He says in another place that if, if a man will not deny himself and take up the cross. So that, in other words, you're suffering the loss of this identity, whoever you are and whatever you are. For Moses, it was son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he said, I'm not that anymore. Brother, when you come to the Lord Jesus for saving grace, be ready to change your identity because you're not a child of the darkness anymore. You're not associated and bound to the pleasures of this world anymore. You're not known by your association with the world anymore. From that time forward, you have a new identity. Amen. As many as did receive him, gave he power to become the sons of God. Brother, once you get in the family of God and become a son or a daughter of God, then you are identified as God's own people, what God's person, God's saved one, a follower of the Lord Jesus, a cross-bearer. That you're a partaker of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. You've joined in with that, that burden of carrying the cross and getting the word out to Every, we say every available person by every available means at every available time. And that's a wonderful statement of our mission. But so many times I wonder as we look at statistics and try to diagnose a church that seemingly is terribly ill, that maybe it's not the church, maybe it's our approach to church. It's not that church is dying. It's that the way we approach church and approach that notion of church and family of God and children of God and community, that we are all are one. Jesus said we're all one. Sometimes it looks to the world like he was mistaken about that because there's so much fragmentation in the church. We've got all kinds of diversity, all kinds of beliefs, everything from predestination to, to all of these theories and ideas and notions that just confuse. And it, it, it seems like we can't seem to get our act together and be good cross bearers and do the things that God would have us to do. Every time we get up and get going, We've got to stop and deal with some cultural situation that we ought to just breeze right through. That we ought to just breeze right through. It should, should be no trouble to people that have put God first in their lives. Amen. But for those that look at these things and analyze these things, how do we effectively preach God's Word in the culture of now? I want to tell you, there was a time when the church was the center of all activity in a community. Amen. It was a, there was a time when if there was anything going on, it was probably at the church. Churches had revivals and churches had all kind of things that people assembled. And if you dated a girl, you usually went to a, a church social of some kind. But it seems now that we only have time for God and we only have time for church for about an hour and a half 
a week. Because you see these attendance figures going down, down, down as the mean for all churches. There's some commonality in that that's going on because it's, that's over the whole 350,000 churches in America. Not just one or two or three. If that's a trend, then what's, what's driving that trend away from coming to God's house and being in church? What's, what's, what's the thing that's, that's causing that? And, and I sit and listen, I've stopped trying to pry into people's business anymore. I just take the whatever excuse they give me. And I get some wild ones. And I just listen because I found out I do more harm by trying to scold them or something like that. And I've given up on that. I just go and I say, oh God, please help them to come to a realization that there's only one reason why we should assemble in church, and that is God. The only reason I'm here today is God. The only reason I'll be here next Sunday is God. There's only one reason I'll be here on Wednesday night to teach God's Word is God. Come on, somebody. God is my reason. God is my answer. God is my all and all. Amen. There's no other excuse. There's no other opinion. There's no other idea. It's just God. I'm here because of God. I preach his word because of God. I live for him because he's God. I sing songs about him because he's God. I tell folks in waiting rooms at hospital that he'll touch your loved one's body too. Amen. Because he's God. When I drive down the highway, I look for a radio program, a preacher, or somebody singing because God is in my heart and God is in my life. He's what I'm all about. He's why I do what I do. He's why I go where I go. He's why I get up in the morning. He's why I stand on the stage to preach his word because he's God and beside him there is no other. Hallelujah. The world in crisis. And I want to tell you, we may be right here on the verge of World War III because people are so blinded, blinded by religion. Did you know that religion will so confuse you? It'll make you do things that you thought you would never do. People do things in the name of religion. The killing of a, a village, of 900 thousand people, babies killed was because of religion. Because of religion. Wars that are fought in the name of religion. And people so confused that if you kill the infidels, you go to heaven. When God's word plainly says, thou shalt not kill. Amen. It just baffles me that in the name of religion 
People can bomb airplanes and do terrorist attacks. And there's only one reason why terror and why all of that anxiety about it exists. It's because there is a devil. There is a devil. And the devil always loves to do substitutionary ploys. He always comes to us to appeal to us on our nature. Our nature. We're naturally curious. We're natural. If there's something new or if there's something different, we want to know, know about that. We don't get cheated out of not knowing. If there's something good in that and I miss it, then we're just programmed that way. In fact, the Bible said the Athenians, when Paul went to Mars Hill in Acts 17, when he went there, he said, for all of the Athenians spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. That culture is 2,000 years old. That was in the first century. 2,000 years later, you can still quote, and all the people of Aniston spend their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. All the people of Birmingham spend all of their time in nothing else but to tell or to hear some new thing. Listen to the Bible's advice. Stand ye in the ways. Stand in the ways. Examine the ways. And see and ask for the old paths. Not the new ones, but the old paths. Wow. Wherein... There is a good way. And the next verse said, and when you find it, walk therein. Isn't that something? That the Bible tells us that falling for everything new that comes down the pike is dangerous. Along with church attendance going down, here's something that just stirs, stirs you that the opinion of pastors and preachers in this nation has slid down. At one time, it was at the top of the list of vocations that had influence was preachers. They have slid down the list to the bottom of the list, and 37% of this nation's population has any confidence at all in pastors and preachers. So if they have no time for the Word of God, they have no time for those that preach it. And I am sad to say to you that many pastors and many preachers have brought shame and disgrace upon the name of a pastor and a, and a preacher. I, I'm sad to tell you that. But I, I, I would also say to you, don't judge the whole group by a, a small number like that. Don't put everybody in a category like that, that's dangerous. But did you know that way ahead of pastors, the approval of, of pastors is 37%. Nurses is 84%. People have more confidence in nurses than they do people who preach the Word of God. Wow. And my prayer to God is, God, 
help us start a revival in the pulpits of America. God, give us men and women that will stand and proclaim the Word of God unashamedly, that will stand and not be afraid to say, Thus saith the Lord, that are bold and are able to stand and declare without hesitance and take it like it is. Here is what God's Word has to say. We need to address issues in our culture, and sometimes that will cost you. Somebody accurately said, the truth hurts. That's true. Brother, I'm, I'm telling you, conviction is not, not comfortable. And brother, when the Word of God is preached, something happens in your spirit and in your mind and in your heart. There's something that goes on when you're in the presence of the Word of God because when the Word of God is preached, it creates a certain aura and a certain atmosphere. There's no duplication of it. There's no way you can create it. It's just simply God's Spirit and God's anointing and God's power that accompanies the preaching of the Word of God. God said, preach, and I'll be with you. If you'll preach the truth and stand for the truth and live for the truth, proclaim the truth, God said, I will stand by your side. I'll be there. I won't let you have to go through that alone. I'll go with you, not just part of the way, but I'll go with you 100%. How do you preach to people then? How do preachers preach to people that have no confidence in preachers? A culture that you preach and they say, I don't want to hear it. A culture that says, who are you anyway to be preaching to me? There's one verse that comes to my mind when I tell you that. The Bible said, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. Brother, if you will humble yourself, as that scripture says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. He didn't say pray and ask God to make you humble. He said humble yourself. What does that mean? That means you get a hold of your life yourself. That out of control part of your life, you get that straightened out. That thing that you say you, you can't do it, you ask God, God give me the power, God give me the grace and the strength to do what needs to be done to get my life straightened out. There's some things in my life that's hindering my praying, that's hindering my testimony. There's some things in my life that I found myself doing that I ought not to do. And God, I need your grace to help me stop doing that and get my life where it needs to be with God and get humble at the foot of the cross. Praise God. Preachers need to pray and say, Lord, help me not to hide behind the cross, but climb up on the cross. It's an altar. Did you hear me? I said it's an altar. Don't hide behind it. Get up on it and say, God, I'm at the altar. I'm the sacrifice. I am the one, God, that I'm giving to you right now. Take me and use me. Make me a sacrifice that's pleasing in your sight. And God is depending upon us. He didn't tell us it was going to be easy. In fact, he said that they're going to hate you. He said you'll be in the, in, in the midst of, of critical people and you'll be in the midst of all kind of slanderous people. 
you'll have to go forth resisting uh, the, the urge to back out and don't do it and don't say it and don't preach it. Our culture is such now that you have to very tiptoe around certain subjects. We get advisors, advisors that tell us, lawyers and people that tell us you might be in violation of certain things if you preach this. And we've come to a time where you're going to have to count the cost. I said we've come to a time when you're going to have to count the cost. And it's real easy to tiptoe and dodge issues. But I will say to you right now, those issues need to be analyzed under the microscope of the Word of God. Put those things under the Word of God and let God be true. I said let God be true. Let God's Word be the truth. And let every man's opinion be the lie. That's what the Word of God said. And my blessed Lord, it's time to preach that. Thank you for your opinion, but I'm just going to choose to obey God. Thank you for the, your work and research that you've done about that. I appreciate it, but I've just determined that it's better for me just to go to God's Word to get the answer, and I prefer to do that. Amen. If you don't know who you are, got identity crisis, then God can help you find out who you are. Amen. You say, well, Brother Jerry, there won't be any people like that come to your church. When they get hungry enough for God and realize that there's sin, that there's sin is displeasing to God, then they'll find a place somewhere where they can find him because you got to find him first. You got to seek him first. You've got to find him first. But he promised in his word that if you will seek me, and he said, it's better still if you'll get up early and seek me early. Because when you seek me early, you'll find me. And if you'll go to my door and you knock on my door, I'll open that door to you. I won't leave that door shut. I'll get up and open that door. If you pray and you ask anything, glory to God, hallelujah, I won't holler out a big no. He said, I will answer your prayer. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and it'll be open. Seek and ye shall find. Praise God. Because he's a God that hears and answers prayer. He's anxious for every person to bring yourself to him. Just like you are. Just like you are. Just come to God. He knows all about you anyway. There's no need trying to impress him. There's no need to try to play a game of charades with him. Because he knows you better than you know you. And when you come to God just like you are, and you say to God, here I am, Lord. No games, no mask, just me. Just me. Brother, he'll meet your need. He'll satisfy your longing. He'll give you your heart's desire. 
He'll touch you like nothing else and nobody else can touch you. He'll become the most important thing in your life. He'll become the most sought after thing in your whole life. Don't know why in the world you people get up at 4.30, spend 30 minutes with God before you go to work. Well, if you could know him like I know him. If you've ever been with him like I've been with him. If you've ever felt him like I've felt him, then you would understand why getting up early is not a problem for me. It's like Agabus. When Paul looked at him and he said, Agabus, he said, the man that is bound with this loincloth, when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be bound in fetters and his back is going to be beaten and brutally abused. And Agabus said, I know that's the Holy Ghost telling you to tell me that. I'm positive, 100% positive that that's the Holy Spirit speaking to me through you. Well, Brother Jerry, I don't know if I believe that or not. Well, you need to start believing it. He said, Paul, I appreciate you telling me, but I'm, I'm willing not only to be bound, I'm willing not only to be beaten. I'm willing not only to be abused. I'm willing not only for my body to be scourged with a whip. I'm willing not only to be beaten and imprisoned and shackled like an animal, but it's that I'm willing also to die. I'm willing also to die that I might preach his word. Oh, blessed God in heaven above. Paul said, I love to be with him so much. I wish I could just die and go on. I want to be with him so much. But he said, but for you, it's gain for me. Why is it gain for me for Paul not to go to heaven and stay here in this earth? Because as long as the Holy Ghost is telling him what to write down, as long as the Spirit of God is telling him, preach, preach, preach Christ, preach the things of Christ, as long as that's going on, the church is benefited and the cause of the community, the faith, people, they, they benefit from that blessed man being alive. He said, but for me, that would be gain for me. But for you, it's better that I stay here. Oh, I want to be a, live a life like that. I want to live a life that is influential, that's a benefit to you. Amen. That, I, I want to pray that same prayer. God, when you get ready for me, you take me on. But as long as I can be a blessing or a benefit to somebody, as long as you'll give me strength, as long as you'll give me a voice, as long as you'll give me a mind, as long as you'll help me with the energy to stand in a pulpit, I'll preach, I'll proclaim, I'll be the expositor, I'll, I'll tell people what the Word of God says and what that means, as long as you can use me. 
The kerygma, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, but to us which are saved, it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. This church needs a revival. This church needs a Holy Ghost inoculation. This church needs an infusion of the Spirit and the power of the living God. This church needs a touch from the hand of God, the touch that changes people. Praise the Lord. For I have brought you from the smallness of your early beginnings through the decades. I've guided you and I've had my hand upon you. I've used you in ways like no other churches have been used. I have longed to do special things through you and in you that would astound the others who look at such things. I, the Lord, have been your strength and I have been your energy. And I have, by my power, by my spirit, made your influence felt. I continue to love you. You are my people and my hand is upon you. And I will not remove my hand from you until I have completed that for which I called you so many decades ago. I sent revival then. I've sent revival oftentimes. And I, the Lord, will send revival unto you. I will do miraculous things in your midst, saith the Lord. And I will change the lives of those who seek me and those who are drawn to my saving grace. For I, the Lord, am with you. I will go with you, stand by you, and strengthen you. Be bold, saith the Lord. Preach the word. Support the word. For in preaching the word, Revival will come to your homes and your families and your children and your friends. I, the Lord, am your God, and I will not forsake you. Thank you, God. Stand with me, please. For the hour is come, and the time is urgent, saith the Lord. That that thou dost, thou must do it quickly. For the hour draweth near when the sound of the trumpet shall awake sleeping saints. And you who are alive will be caught up 
to meet them in the air. For the coming of the Lord is very near, saith God. Seek my face while there is time, and I, the Lord, will revive and restore and reveal in, G in the name that you call the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. The name you call the name of Jesus. In the name that is called the name of Jesus. Somebody say that. In the name of Jesus. The name that is called Jesus. The name that is called Jesus. Oh. Thank you, Spirit of God. Would you meet me in this altar this morning? I feel the Holy Spirit has drawn us to this altar. I feel like praying this morning. Would you meet me here? I want to talk to him today, don't you? He's talked to us. I want to talk to him. <laughs> 